Three Detectives, Night Country, Episode 3 is over, but here on Post Show Recaps, we are just getting started. My name is Grace, but of course, I'm not alone. I'm here with Dr. Amanda. Amanda, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm ready to do just a tiny bit of post-mortem on this episode, Grace. Oh, is that, is that legal? Bit. Just yeah, a little yeah, bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Anchorage won't mind if we just do a little bit of post-mortem. You're a doctor. It's <laughs> fine. It's yeah, fine. close enough. Yeah. Uh, no, Pete, Pete, Pete turned that down immediately. Mm-hmm. The vet is not allowed to do postmortem on the dead human body. Not even a little bit, Grace? Not even just not even a little, little bit. tiny bit? Okay. No. Um, we're halfway through, I think, no doubt, scariest episode of the season. So oh, far. my goodness. Yeah. Oh, no. God. They're getting a lot of mileage out of uh, Anders Lund here. Like, he's being, like, the last episode where he had his brilliant It's Alive moment, and then uh-huh. we get we get one last gasp here. This is this is feeling very horror right now, Grace. I don't like it. No, I do like oh. it. I do like it, but I'm like, I'm very I don't have a lot of phobias. I'm not afraid of heights. Mm. I'm not really afraid of spiders. I'm not, you know, like whatever. You know, think, You're I'm sure of- when I'm in those situations, I'll be like, oh my God, this is terrifying. But I don't know. I don't think I want to freeze uh, oh, my any of my body in any part of, the, and I, maybe I need to move. Well, we learned it. It's a rel- <laughs> we learned it's a relatively peaceful death. Oh. You just sort of like quietly go to sleep. That's what Vince the vet says. Unless you're Anders Lund, and then you don't. You you wake up and you yeah. tell us that she's awake and that Sur- you're... surviving almost freezing to death seems worse than yes. freezing to death. Frankly. Okay, I'll freeze to death. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to freeze to the point where I almost died, but I actually live. I think. Don't half-ass the job. Yeah. <laughs> All right, episode three. Make sure you're subscribed. Postrecaps.com slash True Detective. Uh, we'll have lots of uh, coverage, uh, more coverage this week. Uh, Jess and I will do a deep dive. There'll be the Versus Pod with Mike Bloom and Latanya Starks as well. Um, you can view all of these on YouTube, youtube.com slash post show recaps. Um, let me just very quickly talk a little bit about what happened. Navarro and Danvers, they're working on the case together, and they eventually learn of this former research station worker named Oliver who had a relationship with Annie's hairdresser, uh, and she did some work at the station. They go to visit him. He is unwelcoming of their mm-hmm. presence in the sort of ice isolated um little community uh, away from menace ice and isolated that's right that's right um hank has all sort of henchmen who are going to search for raymond and navarro learns that hank got a tip off about raymond when annie died uh anders Lund wakes up from his coma and provides navarro with a cryptic message your mother says hello and pete hacks into annie's phone and finds a video of her saying she found it just before she died um what'd you make of this one who um well you know this is a pretty quick season like you said we're halfway through so um it really is keeping quite a brisk pace and i feel like there was a lot of detecting a lot of discoveries in the case around here um i mean i was really like riveted um i've been enjoying this so much i you know i I don't know if you ever have this experience, Grace, where you're watching something and you're enjoying it so much and then you check how much time is left and you're like, ooh, I have 20 more minutes. Like, I I, I, I want more. I'm a compulsive time uh, checker, mm. uh, much to the dismay of anybody in a movie theater with me because I'm constantly, like, flicking my watch up to be like, oh, I have this much time left. In the-. I just, I just, there's something about it, the way my brain works. But, yeah, it is nice when you're like, there's so much left. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And, and, and this series i think has really efficiently made use of its one hour like i feel like there's so much packed into here we have a lot to get into in our discussion today a lot more that you and jess will get into in your deep dive no doubt but we get more of navarro's background i feel like we get some more sympathetic portrayal 
of Liz. Um, we have we learn more about what's going on at the mine. We get more about Annie and Raymond Clark. So I I do feel like there's a lot of uh, a lot of meat to get into here, um, and I'm really excited to talk about it with you. Yeah, I think that for me, I think this thing I said in episode one was the balance seems so right for this show. In a mystery mm -hmm. show, there was so much present that they were telling us or we were seeing that was giving us, you know, context for the the murder mystery or the mystery of what had happened. And then there was all of these things. Um, last week on the deep dive, Jess and I went through each of the things that were in the intro credits. And I was like, oh, they've hit so many of them. Mm -hmm. I think a good indication of like the way the show is going is that I think, I believe from my recollection, we kind of got two new things kind of like checkboxed off the, they're in the intro credits, which mm -hmm. is the orange peel and yeah. uh, the hatch. I think that like there's certainly no way that the place that Annie isn't at the end of the thing isn't some hatch, which they just must love post show recap so much to include a hatch <laughs> in their intro credit. The they show. did it just for us. Yeah, but there's still things. I think a bathtub full of blood is uh, the first thing you see in the credits. Oof. We have not seen that yet. So, you know, in terms of the way things are being revealed, I think it's good. And also, I think it's just well acted and well written because I think mm -hmm. like the conversation where Navarro and Danvers are driving and her Tinder notification comes <laughs> off like, OK, funny. But then it's like, what do you do when you get lonely? And this is kind of me, too, of like, um, I'm so good at making small talk with you. But there's for me, there's no like middle talk uh, mm -hmm. if you hang out with me. Like we're going to jump from like well, weather out there is pretty wild, huh? To like, so what's your deepest, darkest fear? You know, like, it's like, that's kind of my, those are the two uh -huh. gears I function in. I don't want to be uh -huh. like in the middle area. And I feel like this is exactly what Danvers does with Navarro in the car of like, so like, what do you do when you're lonely? <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, yeah. and her, her conversation with Eddie as well, where she opens up uh, as mm -hmm. a quid pro quo. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, lots of good stuff in both of those relationships. I I had a couple of like headlines of like that this episode made me see things a little bit differently. Please, please. So the first of which is I feel like such a dummy. Like, and I feel like people must have seen this coming when I was just like, oh, this is gonna be an easy open and shut case. It's obviously Ray Clark, and the show is just gonna like be like, okay, we know who the killer is. Now we're How about, get try, try saying it to the stars of the show who know the ending of the show. Cause I did say in the interview, I'm like, I think we know what happened to Annie. And they're like, <laughs> you sure. Oh. Yep. You sure do. <laughs> By the way, excellent, excellent oh, interview. Thanks. I think yeah. that people should definitely go back and listen to that if they haven't already. Um, yeah, I mean, so now I'm feeling much less confident that we actually know what happens. There's a few different reasons here for us to doubt that Ray Clark was single-handedly responsible for this like so knowing that the um that the scientists died of fright and didn't freeze to death um the whole like she's awake theme comes up again so there's a she involved that's probably not ray clark and then we also have evangeline point out just how happy um ray and annie looked as a couple so definitely sowing some seeds of doubt in terms of uh, ray clark being the open and shut killer um you think i'd never watched a television show before grace what what, what we're not going to make bold predictions on a no one would listen to us if we're just like it could be this maybe it's this or this or this uh -huh. but we don't know we gotta <laughs> you gotta stake a claim and you know i i think that the point sort of that i made in the episode one deep dive we took we put on uh, we were we have this mystery contest where you kind of lock in your your guests and i said like i don't even know if it's worth putting on what happened to annie because i it felt like in the spirit of the show that they, that's not they weren't so much interested in what happened with Annie. Mm -hmm. Maybe now it seems like they are 
maybe as much interested in what happened to Annie. But once again, this feels much more like, you know, still some system, still some uh, cover up, some way in which like what happened might have been known to some mm -hmm. people and that um, her death was was known by people. You know, even the fact that uh, last week with the trailer, you know, it's like people were so OK with just letting this thing happen and not give any evidence over to to the police this week you have that again interestingly last week it's from a mine workers point of view mm -hmm. this week it's from um kind of a uh, she doesn't really she says i didn't tell you because i didn't really know you right that's what she says to navarro mm -hmm. um uh this the hairdresser who i'm struggling to remember her name. Uh, susan, susan i think was her okay. name susan yeah who's basically saying like yeah i also had information and in fact i did mm -hmm. give the information but the police station like covered up that information so i do feel like you know if i'm gonna get credit for boldly claiming things i do think more and more hank knowing something and covering it up still certainly seems oh definitely but yeah. yeah what do you i mean i guess the you know there's obviously the like i found there's a lot of things we could dive into in terms of the headlines but in terms of like what happened to annie the other piece here that sort of like they 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 move on in terms of is 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 oliver and mm -hmm. the scene with oliver is very strange because i feel like we don't we they go and they enter the house and he's there with the gun and he's like get out get away and mm -hmm. like we'll come back with a warrant and they leave and this is where then they get the the notice to head back um but what do you make of oliver as a individual and and what role does he continue to play yeah it, it feels like that can't be it yeah so it's interesting so i mean Oliver is a is a Oliver Takak, I think is is an Alaskan native. He's Inupiaq, um, and he was. We learned from Susan, the hairdresser, who was Annie's friend, that he was a uh, like a machine engineer at Salal. So he might have been like a local guy with technical expertise who wasn't one of the primary scientists, but worked there for some time and. He stops working there, uh, you know, right after, right before Annie is killed, right? So there's like some, and you know, that that maybe Ray and Oliver and Annie and Susan were, you know, friends and 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 had this kind of extracurricular social life. Um, he's not on the records anywhere in Salal as being an employee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we know that Pete can't find him on a computer anywhere. He doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of love Pete. I kind of, I kind of like Pete a lot. Uh, oh, Pete's adorable. Yeah. 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 He's just the sweet dummy. I think is what Kayla calls him. He's like, what if I don't want to be a sweet dummy anymore? Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, baby boy. You have to watch um, the you first, first watch the graduate and then maybe yeah. you can graduate yeah. from your sweet dummy status. Um, so, um, yeah, I thought that this scene with Oliver was really interesting because we get a lot in this episode in particular, um, Nav Navarro's identity and her relationship with her, um, with her native heritage. We learn her whole history when she, um, tells this to Kavik in the ice fishing hut that, um, her mother, uh, was, um, in Upiak and she moved to Boston, met her father, and then um, dad was was bad. He was abusive, and she comes back to Alaska. Um, and eventually, 
is one of these murdered women who is never uh, discovered. So a very, very tragic story. But in that telling, we find out that Evangeline never learned her Inupiat name, um, that she, so she has this kind of very complicated identity where she's come back to the place where she's from, but she's also somewhat of a stranger in that place. Um, so I thought there were a lot of really poignant scenes that were uh, playing on this theme, and I hope we get a chance to talk about more of them. Um, but but Oliver is, I think, living this nomadic um, life now as a hunter out on the tundra, and it's like, you know, he must have, I mean, this connection to Annie, this connection to Ray Clark, like we imagine that there's something that he might know. I don't know if we'll be able to get more information from him, but I think that this is an interesting, um, this is an interesting aspect of the policing duo of Navarro and Danvers together, because I think if we are going to learn anything from Oliver, it's probably going to be through Evangeline's work and maybe not Liz's. Yeah, agreed. I, yeah, the piece about the confrontation about like, what's your, what's your name? Uh, she's like, I already told you. Yeah. That certainly is a reason for that. The the piece for me where I just like, if I put my detective uh, hat on, which is that Oliver, it feels like what could he know, but similarly doesn't trust that anybody can do anything about. And so, you know, why does he choose to leave Ennis mm -hmm. and, and specifically the um, Arctic research station? He decides to leave and wants nothing to do with with what's there uh right and so there you know the instinct of like did he know something but mm -hmm. but he never said anything because there's such a history of nothing happening you know yeah. it, it, that to me feels um like it like it could be there and he's just being defensive of like just leave me out of this like you know yeah. it's your mess that you folks never you know the police never clean that that to me feels like something i think for me more than something shady or but 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 maybe the hatches with this community or whatever but um there's another connection to season one somebody did point out that yes. the ngo that people were talking about that's from uh that's from season one tuttle um, i think tuttle is the name and that that was the um i think that there was like a clergy person and that that was a cult so that that was related to season one so another callback it was it was bad guys from season one were tuttle and this is yep. like tuttle industries right. so there's a connection there yeah i definitely want to get back to what the hell is happening at salal because that definitely is going to be important um and again we like we heard uh in the last episode that their stated mission is to find this like organism in the ice or find this you know this that find this cellular material that they could use that would have big implications for human health, cure cancer, um, you know, cellular regeneration. Yeah. The, they're the trying to mm -hmm. extract, uh, uh, they're trying to find the sequence of the DNA, sequence of DNA of an extinct microorganism that would stop cell cellular decay is mm -hmm. what they were working on. Yeah. So, all right. So like this is, that's a pretty big lofty thing, Grace. Pretty big. And yeah. we heard we heard from Rose that um, that like what did she say was older than Innis was the older symbol, than ice. The symbol is older than ice. The symbol older is than older than yeah. ice. So there's yeah. something about this like 
that the ice, that this place, like I'm just thinking about the things Rose has said about the world is getting old and, and this is where the fabric is being pulled apart. And this notion that there's, because this is a place that's cold and frozen, that there are old things, there are old secrets that the earth is hiding that are still locked in the ice somewhere. Um, and that is like a very, very evocative notion, both spiritually and scientifically. And we have Salal here representing how can we scientifically exploit this ancient history, these ancient secrets that are locked in the ice. And then we have like a much more spiritual interpretation of what that means that might be embodied by somebody like Rose or might be embodied more by the um, Inupiat uh, spirituality or religion or the mythology there. So I think that that's a really fascinating tension. And this idea, perhaps, that the scientists discovered something by coring and digging into the ice and finding something old, that they have unleashed some ancient spirit. Um, that there's, and I don't know if that's actually an ancient spirit or if it's something else that in their work they've unlocked something sinister, they've awakened someone, some yeah. she. Um, yeah. I feel like at least we're supposed to be thematically responding to that. And I did like a little bit of a of a quick Google uh, on Inupiat mythology to see if I could find some sort of deity or some sort of figure that might be this female she. And I do think that Anders Lund says a name. I, I also yeah. thought he said a name and I could not get it. I, and, I could um, not get it. I think a previous episode had closed captioning for me, but this my the, the screener I had did not have closed captioning, yes. so I could not catch what he said. And I tried, I think, like four or five times, just like, nope, can't get it. It's just uh, it's the same. Just I jumbled. did the same. And yeah. then, and then, like my 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 you know my dumb person Google like did not help me at all. But I do feel like this is something that if it's not going to be the explanation for what killed the scientists and what killed Annie, I think that. In this kind of, uh, you know, true detective spirit of is this supernatural? Is this something that has a rational explanation? Which is, you know, what basically Danvers and Evangeline argue about in the car. I do feel like there's going to be a she that 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 this is what um, is going to be at least on some level the explanation for what killed the scientist. But isn't I thought the other thing about Lund waking up is that he's when he's talking to Evangeline, he's specifically saying it's it's your your mother, like your mother says hello. She's she's looking for you. Um, so that to me, you know, do we can we can we draw a line between she is awake to being her mom? I I, I don't know. Um, I the, have to. I but I have to, so so okay. Let's talk about Lund waking up for a yeah, second. Do you do mind? Yeah, no, I don't mind at all. <laughs> oh, you don't mind? Okay. Um. Because it is pretty gruesome. Um, but I, 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 so, so that whole scene, I feel like we see him in two ways. There's one way that we see him where it's obviously what's happening in the reality of the show where he's yes. convulsing, he's distressed. This is when Danvers talks to him. Yes. This is when the nurse is in the room. And that I'm reading as a hundred percent show reality. That is Lunt in his final throws before his death 
Yes. Then there is the part of the scene where Evangeline and Lunt are alone and uh, Danvers is tending to a riot that's happening elsewhere in the hospital. And there's also the camera work here where like Lund goes like out of picture and then like kind of is back in picture when he wakes up and is saying like she's awake and he looks he's like horrific and he yeah he's much more of like a an animated spirit than this person who is like you know lost his eyesight and his limbs uh the, yeah. the version he's, that Dan and he's very composed reading. like yes. in, in this in this part of the scene he's very composed this is not when he says she's awake this is right. when he right. tells he says evangeline um your hello, mother your mo- yeah sorry yeah yeah go ahead sorry. yeah your mother says hello. She's waiting for you. Yeah. And right. he points and he lies back down. Yeah. Um. So when he says, I woke her and now she's out, she's out in the ice. She came for us. That is what he says to Danvers and yes. what I think is like more easily interpretable as the reality of the show. So the question is the hello, Evangeline, your mother says hello. Is that something that actually happens that Lunt actually says as a conduit from the spirit world to the real world to somebody very close to death? Or is that something that is in Navarro's head? As Rose would remind us, do not confuse the spirit world with mental health issues. And we know that Evangeline's mother saw things that wasn't there, that weren't there. We also know that Jules suffers from psychosis and hallucinations so this to me is very much um you know not as clear cut something that comes from lund himself so one one other there's there's a few other moments where navarro we potentially do not trust her thing mm-hmm. and in the yellow uh king mm-hmm. which is where the quote from the beginning comes which is also the name of a monster but it, that that potentially uh, the, that that's what the symbol often worships is the mm-hmm. yellow king or Haster is the is the name. And what I think is really interesting about the use of this monster is that um, often in Lovecraft stories, it's not one. It's not a person. It's not a pl- like it's kind of it is and is not anything mm-hmm. it, it needs to be. Right. So that I think is like um, interesting. But she throws the orange and the orange comes back. Yeah. And then when she's leaving the hut, she hears something. I believe she thinks she sees Holden running yeah. away with the teddy bear. Yeah. And then she slips. And when she wakes up in the desert or the dirt, mm-hmm. the ch- Holden again, I believe, touches yes. her and says, get my mommy. I think maybe out of here again. Hard to hear. Um, we see the little polar bear teddy. Uh, and then she wakes up again. And so, yeah, I in the yellow king what i was going to say is that quote from the beginning of the show about the monsters that grow in the night that even you know mm-hmm. those stories in the yellow king are also about an unreliable or often written from an unreliable yeah. narrator from a woman who fell, falls off a horse and therefore she she is concussed as she's injured she doesn't know what she's saying so i think this idea of these moments where you know, and I thought interestingly, I don't know if they did this last episode, but at the beginning of the episode, we get another like it's December 22nd, it's the mm-hmm. fifth day of the night. So interestingly, the show, and I'm thinking about why they do that, because I, I don't think so far, maybe other than to know that Christmas is coming and mm-hmm. Danvers is making a turkey, but otherwise, I don't know how important that is, other than to give us some maybe false sense of like we can trust what the show is telling us to you interesting know, yeah. you know like you put in this thing like this is truth and then later by the end of the episode we're saying a thing that i think you and i both definitively think that is not truth i think mm-hmm. that that is some form of uh vision hallucination 
something that I think a lot right. of other people, the interesting thing, not that Navarro would not know about Holden. She certainly probably in fact mm -hmm. does know about Holden, but it's the way that like she's awake and that, and that Holden is in Navarro's dreams. Like the way things are permeating across people, I think for me is one of the things that is most interesting so far that I don't really have any lead on mm -hmm. what this means. Other than that, like this is a place where people are, connected or yeah yeah i mean the she's awake we get in the first episode and navarro feels that holden i mean i'm sorry navarro feels that uh danvers feels that it's connected with um with with danvers memories of holden i think in bed like putting his arm on her so that is something that seems to be an experience that's shared by multiple different characters and of course we get the Ray Clark uh, saying that in in that early scene. Um, I also wanted to point out that um, again, thinking about the symbol, the tattoo symbol that's older than the ice, um, we find out that Annie dreamt that, right? That that's the right. origin of this that's tattoo. Right. This is what we and, learned from, yeah. from Susan that she dreamt this, um, and it was. She said she got a tattoo and the drain stopped. Yeah, the, uh, she stopped dreaming. She stopped she dreaming stopped about dreaming the tattoo. About tattoo. So okay. basically, like getting a tattoo on her body somehow made that thing go away. So, yeah, that's the other that I feel like there's more there of like how does Annie actually learn potentially learn about mm -hmm. that uh, the tattoo, the symbol because it's so connected to season one and cults. And I think that the other big piece, obviously, we haven't really talked about is yeah, Annie seems to have filmed herself saying. I'm, I found it. I'm here. If I die, cue being found and, and, yeah. and screaming. Um, there is a hatch in the intro. So this is why. And when you, when you kind of hear her like stop, it does, you know, sounds like the hatch. We're very yeah. familiar with the sound effect on the on post show recap. So um, if anything happens to Should me, we Dr. drop Dr. this in the down the hatch feed. We'll drop it in the down the hatch yeah. feed. Yeah. <laughs> so what did she find? I mean, is my, is my, she... my question and how related to, this, to me it feels like it ha you know season one the symbol is about this god and they would they would do a lot of sacrifice they were also into some bad stuff uh very very bad stuff so and the fact that we're so far removed from these two places and yet the symbol comes back in to me like you know how does how did they how did the symbol get from there to there and i know that she's you know i'm maybe saying like how did it get from louisiana to alaska mm -hmm. and rose is saying the opposite of like no no it's like yeah. it's he it's always been around it's been here for forever um but what are the people who are in ennis you know are other people using the symbol what what it, what is happening in terms of like that annie has uncovered yeah i mean so we have travis as a connection between the two seasons we have the tuttle industries as another connection between the two seasons um we find out that clark when he sees the tattoo becomes obsessed with it and then that of course after annie dies he gets the tattoo of that symbol um so um you know is this another connection um i think that i've now since uh we've started podcasting about this i've listened to a number of interviews with um with Isa Lopez and she definitely was trying to draw inspiration from true detective, especially season one and is try And I think is deliberately creating this season in conversation with that. I think more than what I had originally thought was that she had kind of created this other detective story as a different piece. Um, but um, 
Yeah, this I think is, um, you know, ha it uh, is the symbol supposed to mean the same thing in both places? Um, is the symbol related to the she? Is the symbol related to the it that Annie finds um, that's down the hatch? Um, I think that all of that is definitely very much in play. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, we talked a little bit about Navarro, but there's a bit of a, quite a journey this episode mm -hmm. in terms of where we open is her going to do police work and finding out that, uh, these people are actually using, um, this sort of like factory building thing, um, as a birthing center, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, trying to maintain their culture we hear in the same episode i don't believe it's this baby but we hear later when leah goes to the protest that a baby was born stillborn uh, stillborn i don't know it's it not i mean because this is this is while navarro was still this is it but well you know obviously annie's still alive navarro's still working for the afp so this is like a newborn baby who would be like six or seven. Oh, i didn't know. realize that this was a flat at the very beginning this was of a flashback. flashback this was a flashback to annie still alive so i thought that this oh, was i see i see so this was a really i think a really important scene because we get um we find out that Annie was a person of interest for the police, that she was under investigation probably because of her involvement in the mine protests. And I thought that this opening scene was really brilliantly done because at first we hear a woman screaming and we see Evangeline approaching um, this, this place. And, um, you know, and you think that she's going to save the woman under distress. And then we find out the woman's screaming because she's in labor. This yeah. is a birthing center. Annie is, you know, serving as a doula midwife in this kind of like beautiful birthing center scene where we see, you know, all of these Native women and they're, um, you know, doing the, you know, they're, they're, they're all helping. Um, when, when Navarro comes in at first, the mother in labor is really upset. What is she doing here? And then Annie like very deftly says she's here to help. And she enlists Navarro to get warm water and be involved. And it's like very beautiful. There's like a moment of, um, of terror because the baby is born and doesn't immediately start crying. And this happen sometimes this happened in my first birth and it was terrifying and then that is terrifying and then yeah. and then you finally hear the baby vocalize and that was beautiful there's humming and there's singing and you can see how much it affects navarro and then annie immediately turns her hands out to be arrested and cuffed um and i thought that this was a really really beautiful poetic way to sort of illustrate navarro's identity being at the cusp of these two worlds coming into this space with native women and not belonging but mm. also recognizing that like these are her people and having to arrest somebody who is going to like then become the person that she's trying to solve her murder i mean it just it's it's just amazing and i did listen to an interview um Actually, I want to give a plug to this. The official True Detective Night Country podcast. That's not us. Is us. It's oh. the HBO podcast. Um, you know, We're the yeah. unauthorized, unofficial, exactly. cool yeah, pod. Yeah, uh, But oh, it's actually yeah. really brilliantly yeah, done. The host yeah. is, in, is an Inupiat uh, woman, cool. and she is like an activist and a, and a podcaster. And there's... Um, a lot of interviews um, with the with the cast and crew. And then also there was an interview 
with an Inupiat um, woman who was a police officer in Alaska who talked about her experience and like pol how policing in a small town is like so complicated because the person you're arresting one day is like the victim the next day. Yeah. And that, you know, that mm -hmm. this is, um, and that having these relationships and like how she, how she approached her womanhood and her native heritage as a way to, you know, get trust and get information and help people. And that this was like driven by her desire to help. Um, but I think that this is really, uh, you know, a very important scene for kind of understanding where Navarro is in the history of this case. Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. And I also thought it was like so striking to leave this scene that was like such a feminine energy yes. to yes. go right to like yes. Hank and his hill hillbillies. Yeah. We were gonna yeah. go out on the tundra and like find this man. Yeah, it's a really yeah, that's yeah, it's a stark contrast between the the, the two scenes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um we do get a little bit um more uh hank seemingly you know to some degree you know he he's covering up evidence or or at least like burying a lead mm -hmm. um and uh and and yeah has these like renegade hillbillies running around um at the same do time you, do you yeah. think that hank was chief of police before danvers was yes, yes. yes. okay that's I my read as yeah. well um we also get a scene where he gives skates to pete so that he can go skating with darwin so it's like you know the Duality of man. <laughs> Duality. Of man. Oh, and I do have, I have to say, we've talked about names and we've talked about like the symbolism of names. I mean, there's yeah. like, there's a four-year-old named Darwin. Like that's not, an, that's not an accident. You don't accidentally name a character yeah. Darwin when you're talking about, um, you know, the evolutionary history and all the, and the, yeah. the DNA secrets locked in the ice. So yeah, I do have 100%. to point out that. Yeah. Um. So, you know, that happened, but uh, not much, not much else. Uh, although... Yeah. D Danvers does does recognize like there's no way you felt like he's covering for his dad. He's mm -hmm. not saying that his dad hit him. He's saying that he fell on the ice. But he's a big hockey champ. Danvers. He's a big so. hockey champ. Yeah. So, huh. um, yeah, Hank is a jerk. He's corrupt. He was he was burying this to some extent. But there is like some tension here because Hank is going to accuse Liz of basically seducing mm -hmm. his son. And there seems who is Mrs. Robinson, by the way. Yeah. Do you not know? No, I know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was like, oh no. Here's to you, old. Mrs. Robinson. It's okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm Mrs. Robinson on this podcast because I get this <laughs> reference. Um, uh -huh. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Hank accuses Liz of basically seducing his son. Yeah. Um, we also get this other, you know, um, and it seems like, you know, of course he's using this cynically because Liz is going to like discipline him for high for mishandling evidence. But um, but it also seems like there's some smoke here because Kayla sort of says, like, you know, well, I'm not jealous of her, but also she's, you know, monopolizing all of your time. Um, and and then I also wonder if there's 
This is my other headline. I'll just get to it. Yes. Do we think that Liz and Navarro have a sexual history? Wow. That is very interesting. Uh, you know, mm, I, I, I never thought about it, but man, why not? Fun. So Great. Let's, Liz, yeah. Liz asks Navarro if she's still seeing Kavik or if yeah. she's back with girls again. And then I also noticed that, um, you know, this, that in the car, when they're talking about Tinder, mm-hmm. um, you know, Liz says like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have I eat. eat. Yeah. I don't. And then, and then kind of, uh, and then Navarro gives her a knowing look and she says not anymore. And of course yeah. that could mean Ted, but yeah. it could also mean. And Whoa. it could also mean it that that they once had a history. And I do feel like there's something in the way that Navarro interacts with Pete that suggests, like, I know what this is. Like, you know, she tells Liz, are you huh. still are you still effing anything that can't run away fast enough? Um, so I don't know. I'm just putting it out there. I was getting Whoa. a vibe. And um, there's something to the intimacy, like to the way like Liz knows. Yeah. where Evangeline yeah, yeah, yeah. keeps her canned goods when she goes over there. Like there's something in their tension that is not quite explained. We do get a flashback to the last case that they worked together. Great. Yeah. And she lies. Danvers lies about it seemingly. But again, I don't, I was, un- this is another point where because it's Danvers, I don't know that I have any reason to believe this is not true. So I, I, I believe that she's lying is my interpretation really? of the scene that when we got there, they were both dead, but this man turns around and like is smiling basically and having killed this woman, um, this guy's named William Wheeler. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you make of the, she seemingly lies to, to Peter that, that it, it ended the way it did. And it feels like what's the difference. Um, so there has to be more to, she's to a this. big fat lying liar and somebody <laughs> Shot that man and covered it up and pretended it was suicide. And that is the ultimate thing that tore Liz and Evangeline apart. I don't know if Evangeline did it or if Liz did it, but they had a disagreement and one of them killed him is my reading of that scene. Yeah, it feels more likely that Evangeline would probably, based on behavior and what we've seen so far and then it would probably be like a night like you can basically see like Danvers being like this is a nightmare i will like find but you have to like you're moving to the state troopers yeah but yeah they don't tell us in this episode so i guess it's entirely possible that it could have been Danvers. but yeah yeah i think i almost feel like this is gonna this show it was right after the death of of her husband and kid as well maybe yeah. yeah, I almost think this show might be trying to do like a double reverse fake out on us where it's yeah. like we assume that it would have been Evangeline, but maybe yeah. it was really Danvers and maybe Danvers moved Evangeline to protect her. Um, but we don't know exactly what happened there, but we know that she's lying. And Pete yeah. seems to know that she's lying, too, because later Pete says, tells Hank um, what happened between them, because yeah. she won't tell me. Yeah. So it, very interesting. I did not clock this. My it did not go up, but I I kind of love it. If it if it uh, if this is mm-hmm. um, the like I don't shit where I eat. I kind of took that as like we know that she's been with, with Ted. Uh, Ted, but also the mine uh, owner's uh, oh, yeah. husband I mean, look, as well. So there's other there's lots it looks of like she shits everywhere. To be quite honest, 
where does she where could she possibly eat uh, just the only where the the cans go the can. like, yeah um but apparently maybe not maybe she did that too know. so uh very interesting i i did not clock that but i think it's a very fun theory and i'm mm-hmm. kind of game for it so and we, because there's a, so the one more piece i want to talk about is leah goes to this protest mm-hmm. um and she gets this T-shirt, and again, this is like you know uh, the representation here that they're they they want the mind shut down, uh, but also you know you know talk about that there was a, another stillborn. Um, we see Liz at whose house is she at? Where the water is bad. So Liz is going What's- to. I took this as this was like some memorial service for the stillborn baby that like Liz shows up to pay her respects and to mourn with the family that's affected. And then, you know, she has the experience of then going to use the bathroom and having the water be, you know, black with pollution. Um, also, I think you can be like one of the worst people in the world to, to an extent. And scenes where you interact and are nice to children will totally warm my heart. So the scene where she makes mac and cheese with mm-hmm. this uh, little and they and talk about puddles, the unicorn. Puddles the unicorn. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so sweet. Um, so, yeah, interesting moments from from Liz. Here. She's being so sweet to kids. We've seen it twice now with yeah. Darwin and now with Su- Susan's daughter. But Liz or Leah goes to this protest. And when she comes back, she has the shirt and Liz comes in the room. She hasn't wiped the marker off. She mm-hmm. brings her in the bathroom and makes her wash it off. And, you know, the thing that I, you know, I was thinking earlier, like it was so, I thought it was funny to me that like when um, Jodie Foster is looking at Leah and being like, like, you know, the, the girl that like the girlfriend who's like mm-hmm. at the skating ring walks by and it's like, the Jodie Foster's queer. So it's so funny that she was playing like a character who was like this, but maybe that's uh, could be that she's a queer character in this mm. um, as, as well. But yeah, this whole piece of like a second episode on the row where she's so dismissive. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I guess the thing that's the hardest for me is like, I don't have a kid, so I don't know what I would, you know, feel like if they draw, draw on themselves or, you know, mm-hmm. got a tattoo when they were, you know, it's not a real tattoo, but mm-hmm. she's like obviously thinking about wanting to get that uh, on her chin. I, But it's so hard for me to feel like, like, where is this, that this hatred, I know that she's like, she's shown like racist behavior to, she is racist to mm-hmm. Evangeline, but then it's so hard to comprehend like, where's this specific hatred about, about this specifically yeah. coming from is the piece that I, I feel like will unlock a little bit more for me about this show like why is she treating leah specifically like this like it feels like she should be able to understand that she would want to be connected in yeah. some way to i her think culture i think i got a, a pretty like a strong sense of what's behind that in this very episode and it's it, it came from like the juxtaposition of seeing like leah come back wearing the the protest shirt and having the tattoo and the face marks and then Danvers oh, immediately yeah. going and right. seeing Annie's face and Annie has those markings and Annie's wearing this. And I feel like this comes from this fear that Danvers as the chief of police in Annis has seen probably so many pictures of dead and missing women that look like Leah. And in her misguided attempt to protect Leah from that, she wants her to be something different from that, that, yeah. you know, she says, don't you know what happens to these people don't you know what they do to these people um and again it is misguided but i think that it's some it's somewhat of a more empathetic place to read her behavior from and we see like 
the contradiction in it because while Liz to Leah presents herself as like, you want to have nothing to do with this. This is awful. She also goes to the home of the family that lost the baby. And I think we're supposed to make the connection that like people are dying of cancer and people are dying like of your art and babies are being stillborn because the pollution in the water is poisoning people. Um, and although Danvers, like when she presents herself to Leah seems to be callous to all of that, that can't be true because then what, then she, why would she bother showing up at this family's home? Why would she bother trying to find Annie's killer? Like, I do think that there is a little bit of that, um, you know, that, that, that softer, more empathetic kernel that's behind the rough exterior. Yeah. I think to me, that's pretty logical. I think in terms of like character behavior from Danvers, in terms of, not wanting to even risk what could happen to Leah if she continues to do it versus how removed she kind of can make herself be from, from, from other community and, and know that like, you don't have to do nothing. You d you don't have to not go to the memorial. You don't have to mm -hmm. not investigate Annie's death. Um, but that's all a little bit safer than your own daughter, you know, uh, putting on uh, getting yeah. a tattoo and and, yeah. and displaying her in a way that puts her at risk, you know, like I think um, that makes complete sense to me. Like, I think that if I think so, I always tell the story and I want to preface it by being like, my mom has been so amazing in terms of me coming out as trans, like over the years has been so awesome. But there's this moment where she, when I first came out, even if I came out as gay, I think my mom probably had this, like, there's this, even if you are like progressive and think like, yeah, well, I, you know, before I came out, I think my mom might have, I would support, you know, gay marriage and, that, mm -hmm. you know, trans people, you know, without exactly knowing every detail, but generally, like, I am supportive of that. And then it's really scary when your own kid yeah. is is part of that community and therefore now is is at higher risk of um, all of these things because society sucks. And it's like, yeah. you can do your part, but you kind of know that, like, there's only so much you can do to change society. But you, right. I think probably, I'm not a parent, but as a parent, you try to do as much as you can every single day to try yeah. to protect your kids. You know, it's like the thing that you probably, you know, you must, I, I feel like. Uh, no, it's not like, it's not yeah, like okay, that crazy. <laughs> you gotta let them run free. You know, you gotta let them do whatever they want. You know, Just like, look, figure it out. I gave them a place for nine months and now they're on their own. <laughs> yeah. So I think it makes total sense that like, even if she's like open to, even if she's not like, the most progressive she's not at right. the protest but she's like more open to the idea that like people should celebrate you know or whatever yeah more so than she would be for her own kid who now that that's a reality for her own daughter is is at risk because she knows the reality of like how much it actually so it's like it's true that it sucks and you want it to be better but also now i have to do everything i can to make yeah. sure that like I, my daughter is not at risk of those things happening to her because i know how bad it is yeah i mean so. we we see her have the conversation with evangeline in the car um you know that's like you know do you do the math 50 you know this town this town only exists because of the mine 50 percent of the people here have every reason to want annie dead or at least cover up her death or not investigate it like to to be in a that world in that place where you know it's so hostile to First of all, to Native women, to Native women who protest, to mm. Native queer women. It's like just pile on these risk factors for Leah. Um, 
that's got to be terrifying. And knowing that Liz, as a white woman, is not in the is not in any position to mentor her and nurture that part of her. That's also got to be um, alienating and and scary. Yeah. Right. Well, I really like this show. I think <laughs> I, like, I like it too. I'm having a great time. Yeah. Um, it's well acted. It's very fun. I thought the vet scene is very funny. Uh, we do get some insight into potentially the opening scene of the show, which is the caribou running, but they seem frightened. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, I've seen caribou running terrified. You know, that that's what happens when they don't, you know, a, a frozen death is a peaceful death. This is not what happened. So he, the vet was asking very good questions about what happened. Yes. You know, that Pete and Liz were not. So no, the vet um, is very smart. Um, yes. Yeah. And Pete is very like, I, I, I think uh, when, when it's a detective show, you need to see good detecting. And I think the show is really delivering on that. We get to see Liz being smart and Navarro being smart and industrious. Um, you know, Pete is under 30 and has friends, so he can crack the cell phone. Um, yeah. So there were some really good, um, some some really good detectiving scenes in here. Um, and I love a good, uh, let's get all of the evidence in a big creepy oh, spiral and, circle, pace yeah. the, and pace around the room together. Classic, classic. I, I thought the leap of... Um... This picture has hair dye on it, so it must be her hair. I guess them, it, she only uses her hairdresser for the picture. I guess it's I fine. have no, I have that's no fine. idea. I don't know. That was Whatever. that was probably the biggest leap. I did like the um the Ariana Grande. Um, yeah. that was a good call. Yeah, the the how how, when, how dating the photos by like mm -hmm. oh that's the area that was the summer that Ariana Grande was really popular. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was good. I like that. Um. Yeah, I like uh, Shannon and Gus and I had this theory about the crown that all good. The best scenes of the crown were when two people would argue. Mm -hmm. And I do think this episode had really good, not necessarily argument scenes, but like two two person scenes. I think we had a really good one with uh um Navarro and Kavik. I think the whole piece of like quit and she leaves and then comes back and revealing um her history. I think the scene in the car with Navarro and Danvers was really good. Yeah. So um the show is well acted, well written. I'm enjoying it. And it's it's spooky too. It's very spooky. Speaking of spooky two-person scenes, we also get Jules and Navarro and that big spooky shipwreck. Yeah, oh yeah, that's yeah, big yeah shipwreck. Yeah, do you think that has anything? It's just a cool set piece, right? I don't know. Probably. I don't know. I mean, we're we're figuring out a lot of stuff. We can't figure out everything. Um, yeah. So Evang I think again, like you know, Evangeline is like much more. You know, in the, the the we we get this very explicit tension between like you know magic or is there a real explanation for this? Um, Evangeline, we find out she doesn't talk to God, but she listens. I feel like we need to mention this because I don't know if we have on this podcast, but when Evangeline hits her head on the ice here and sees Holden in her kind of dream, um. That seems to be a flashback to her time in Iraq or oh, Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and then we also mm -hmm. got that um, that that flashback in the very first episode with the other soldiers' face uh, blown. Yeah, we never off. really talked about that. That there's just we a didn't. woman whose face is half blown off. Yeah, I forgot about that. So they're sort of deliberately giving us this part of Evangeline's history in, in pieces, um, and so I'm, I wonder if that's going to come into play. Yeah. 
Well, it's been very good. Uh, we'll be back next week. As I uh, mentioned, we're here on YouTube, youtube.com slash post show recaps. Jeff and I will be around for the deep dive and Mike Bloom and Latanya will be doing the versus pod comparing season four to season one. Uh, make sure to subscribe uh, postrecaps.com slash true detective. I mean, until we're back next week, what else you got going on? Ooh, um, well, I had a kind of big week. I was on yeah. um, Renap doing the AMA, asking Robin Akiva anything. And I also had uh, appeared on uh, an episode of Pod Friends. I got to talk to our mutual dear friend, Matt yeah. Scott. That was a really fun conversation. Um, so that's out now. And other than that, I'm on Post Show Recaps talking every week about Six Feet Under with Ariel. We are working our way through season two and we're having all of the feelings um, and it's been a great ride. So definitely check that out. And as always, you can keep up with me on Twitter where I am at Dr. Amanda R. That's D-R Amanda R. How about you, Grace? Yeah. Full spoiler recaps. Jess and I last week talked about slow horses. And then this week we're going to be talking about Griselda, which is the Netflix uh, Sofia Vergara uh, uh, you know, show. So we'll see how that is. I watched one episode today. Not bad. Aaron and I talking about movies. I don't know that we have this. It's rough at the movies. No more movies. The There's movies. not a lot of movies at the movies. I got to tell you right now. Mm. I saw Oppenheimer again last night and oh. I don't think we're going to cover that, but you know, Oppenheimer and not Barbie grace. Wow, what uh, a snub. What a snub on your part. Oh, yeah. I, I did go to watch Barbie. I Every time Margot Robbie was on screen, I booed. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't do that. Don't worry. I, I, watched, I watched Nyad over the week, the last week. Too. I really like Nyad. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. I, I was yeah. on the Jodie Foster kick, and I watched it with she's, my husband. She's really good in that movie. She's really good. And he was, I think I told you that he's a little bit burnt out on anti-heroes. He's like, I'm uh -huh. so glad Jodie Foster's being nice. And I was like, yeah, she's being really yeah. nice. Yeah. It's like, yeah, she's like, just like a nice friend in that movie. She's a great yeah. supportive friend. Yeah. Yeah, she like doesn't want to do the thing, and they're like, "We do the thing." She's like, oh, "I'll do the thing," you know. Yeah, I'll be a friend. Yeah, it's great. I love her. She's great. Um, yeah, I think that's it for me. I'm on social media at Hi from Grace. We'll be back next week talking about episode four of True Detective Night Country. Until then, we'll be detectiving truly. <laughs> <laughs>